The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. So that's it. We're at flank speed, sir. What's that? This man has been a walking receiving set. I saw an experiment like this once before. Listen. It works something like a heart pacemaker, only it transmits information directly to the brain. With this on him, Melton was little more than a robot. Admiral Nelson. Where am I? What happened? You'll be all right. All right? No. Not all right. Never all right. I'm beginning to remember. There was that plane. The jet pilot. I killed him. And I tried to kill you. No. No, you didn't. You're no more guilty of murder than a gun is. The guilt belongs to the man who pulled the trigger. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, June the 9th, 2022. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be the guilt belongs to the man who pulled the trigger. Truer words were never spoken, which is why our politicians are oblivious to such truths. <laughs> they ban guns while simultaneously allowing those who pull the triggers illegally go free. There have been some extraordinarily disturbing accounts of the Uvalde, Texas school shootings over the past couple of weeks, and by quote-unquote disturbing, I am referring to far more than the horrific nature of the event itself. Or at least, the horrific narrative of that event, which apparently is far from being established as fact. At this point in time, I'm actually finding myself asking just who really did pull the trigger in this case. Where does the ultimate responsibility lie? And I have to tell you, my spidey sense is really tingling over this one, and I'll tell you why. Right after our reminder that you can, and you should, write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform and visit us at justrightmedia.org where you can access all of our social media links and archive broadcasts. As always, your financial support is appreciated and is what makes this show possible. So how ironic that news of the May 24 Texas shooting broke out around the very time of our broadcasts two weeks ago, when for the first time in a long time, the discussion of gun ownership and gun control was discussed between Robert and Eric Prue during their focus on the Free State Project in New Hampshire. And on that same day's show, we also featured a 2019 audio bite by Count Dankula, who upon discovering how so many people in Texas wore their guns on open holsters upon his first visit to the state, said he never felt safer than anywhere else he'd ever been in his life. And he made the point that, in his experience, Texans were the friendliest people on the planet. So what happened in Uvalde, Texas, invalidates all of that, right? Wrong. 
But that's the narrative that the usual gang on the left has been trying to push ever since their pathological belief in gun control and registration became a part of their religion. It should never be surprising that those who wish to control others by force never want those they seek to control <laughs> to have the ability to defend themselves. Like, duh. Now, there's no possible way that I could fit all of the information I've been giving myself quite a headache over dealing with this issue as it relates to the Texas shootings into, I think, even a dozen broadcasts, let alone just one. And there's no way I could possibly reconcile all of the seemingly contradictory news reports. And I'm including here my usual gang of trusted sources who are each reporting facts that differ from each other. Although they're clearly aware that the narratives being issued over the Texas shooting are about as contradictory as it gets. I had great difficulty getting into today's topic because the information I kept running across was totally inconsistent. It was like all over the place until it wasn't anywhere. And suddenly that absence became a part of the story itself. But the overriding story that demands our attention is the consistent state agenda, disarming its free and law-abiding citizens while simultaneously refusing to administer justice in real criminal events and actions. So I suppose the question we're really asking today is just how far will our governments go to sell us into supporting their sinister gun control agenda? So for those of you who may not be aware of the Texas incident or the issues that arose, on this side of our upcoming bumper, Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson and Dan Dix, in completely separate and unrelated reports, offer a glimpse of what they saw, while on the return side, Deanna Lorraine raises a few disturbing questions of her own. Regarding the Texas school shootings, I've been paying a lot of attention to it because it was so shocking to find out that there have been lies told. Like, first of all, it's so bizarre that they were told that there was um, some sort of officer or a security guard of the school that opened fire on this young shooter and then come to find out that, that that's not true at all. And uh, very, very hard. It seems that a teacher went back into the school for her cell phone or something and then left the, the door unlocked um, or ajar. And that is one of the ways that, um, you know, that they got in. So um, there is an update about the Texas shootings, and it is just a nightmare down there. So this is video 26, I believe. Let's have a look at that. You say there were 19 officers gathered in the hallway or, or somewhere. What efforts were made to try and break through that door? You say it was locked. What efforts were the officers making to try and break through either that door or another door to get inside that classroom? None at that time. The, the on-scene commander at the time believed that it had transitioned from an active shooter to a barricaded subject. You have people who are alive, children who are calling 911 saying, please send the police. They are alive. In that classroom, there are lives that are at risk. Hey, That's not we're, protocol, we're, we're, is we're, it? We're well aware of that. Right, yeah. but I, why was this decision made not to go in and rescue these children? Again, you know, the on-scene commander considered it a barricaded subject and that there was time and there were no ch more children at risk. 
Obviously, obvi obviously, you know, based upon the information we have, there were children in that classroom that were at risk, and it was, in fact, still an active shooter situation and not a barricaded subject. So, uh, we were listening to one of the press conferences live today on Sirius Radio, and um, just shocking the chaos. You can tell that the the gentleman that is trying to defend how the police acted when the parents were outside of the school begging some of these police officers to please go in and and help the kids um i don't i don't know what's going on but if you were a parent can you imagine you can hear a gunman inside of the school so parents are outside frantic like, please go in, go in and rescue these kids. And uh, they have a lot of explaining to do. And it is not going well for the police officers at all. And then to hear of this one mother, this is a hero mother. She was so anguished and she was, you know, in sort of an altercation with the police and they handcuff her. Is this how it went, uh, JT? They, they handcuffed her and then... They let her out of the handcuffs and she ran around the school to where her child's classroom was and rescued her own children while the police are still standing there with a gunman at large in the school. There's just so many questions I, I don't fully understand and and so I don't know. I don't know. What, what a mess. <laughs> Dan Dix here reporting for Press for Truth with breaking news. The video clips that you just saw do indeed show the cops literally stopping parents from helping their kids. Um, not only did they have their long guns and their tasers out, ready to stop parents from saving their own children, it looks like the cops have one parent pinned to the ground. But it's all now starting to come out. New video shows police did absolutely nothing to stop the Uvalde shooter. Distressed video shows parents begging cops to stop the Texas school shooter. And the witnesses and videos now suggesting stunning inaction from Uvalde cops during the school shooting. And it's not just inaction that we have to... Uh, look at here guys there's all sorts of problems there's all sorts of inconsistencies and issues that are arising such as this this is a very chilling account from a fourth grader who survived um, the attack he was hiding under a table that happened to have a tablecloth and he says when the cops came the cop yelled if you need help yell help so one of the kids in the class said help and then the guy you know, came over and shot her what, what police officer in his right mind would think that this is a good idea? Uh, also, guys, the shop where the Texas gunman allegedly purchased the firearms to carry out this shooting, uh, yeah, the employees say no one can remember a, a transaction with Ramos in the weeks leading up to the shooting. And it's not a big store. There's only a few employees, and none of them recall doing this transaction. So, indeed, where did the guns come from? Uh, Texas officials are now launching an official investigation into the police response uh, to the school shooting. Uh, conflicting statements over the gunfight with the shooter and videos that show parents being held down by cops outside while kids were trapped with the gunmen. And remarkably, guys, this is quite unbelievable. 
Chilling images show students at Salvador Ramos's high school pretending to be dead during an active shooter drill. Haunting images show students pretending to be dead during a recent active shooter drill at the Texas Mass Murderers High School conducted by the cop husband of one of the slain teachers. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. It's absolutely unbelievable. Look at what Barack Obama had to say about this. Check this out. He says, as we grieve the children of Vivaldi today, we should take time to recognize that two years have passed since the murder of George Floyd under the knee of a police. Uh, what? Uh, yeah, yeah, some, some kids died, but you know what? Let's take this time to remember George Floyd and all the riots that were sparked as a result of that. It's just absolutely insane. There are so many questions, so many things that just don't add up. Like, for instance, the Uvalde School District Police Chief, Peter Arredondo, you know, the one that ordered the police to stand down and not engage in the active shooter. He was just elected to city council just a few days before this massacre. Convenient, right? Why did he order the stand down? Why would it take almost an hour for police to go in there and stop and engage the active shooter? And why would they say that they didn't think it was a threat anymore when clearly kids were calling from their cell phones 911? They were calling and screaming for help. How did a young kid who was supposedly dirt poor and lived with his grandmother in Uvalde, how was he suddenly able to afford thousands of dollars worth of Daniel Defense ARs plus ammo, plus body armor, plus a brand new $70,000 F-250 pickup truck? I mean, who gave him these guns? Who gave him this equipment? It's almost like somebody or a group of people might have given this to this kid. And why is it always that the active shooter either kills himself or gets shot and gets killed at the end of the shooting? So we can't question this person. They just sort of disappear. Why would a teacher just prop open the door or leave the door open for this active shooter to just go to town? And there's another thing too. There's other things that are odd that are coming into play here. One of the teachers that died in the shooting, her husband literally just passed away, apparently a few days later from a heart attack. And here's another thing. Every time that there's shootings like this, whether it's the Vegas shooting or this sh shooting, there's a, a series of not only the people themselves that died at the shooting, supposedly, but their relatives or their remaining loved ones, wife, children, whoever, they suddenly start dying, too, within a few months. Car crashes, heart attacks, random deaths that surround this. It's very odd. And so this is something to also just pay attention to. It's just something odd. There are even reports of some people saying that they took a screenshot of the Google search results for Robb Elementary School a couple of days ago, and it said that the school was permanently closed down. I don't know, does that sound familiar? And when I look right now at the Google search results, it says confirmed by this business five days ago, open. So all of a sudden, did they change the status of the school? I don't know. There are also reports of a military plane supposedly flying overhead the school during the shooting. What's that about? And now the Uvalde Police Department and the Uvalde Independent School District are supposedly no longer cooperating with the investigation. I mean, come on. This reeks of a false flag. And hey, we're not saying that nobody died. It's not always the case that nobody dies during a false flag event. It's that a false flag event is 
organized and coordinated from the powers that be for an agenda, obviously a big gun grab right before elections. The behavior of the police that were at the event, the behavior of the police chief, Arredondo, is completely weird and suspicious and bizarre. The behavior of everybody doesn't make sense. Jack Wasobic says they're covering something up in Uvalde. Everyone knows it. So, no doubt, all of this has been plastered all over the front pages of our daily newspapers and reported in mainstream TV and radio, right? <laughs> no. Remember Dan Dix commenting on Barack Obama's suggestion that we should all reflect on Rodney King? When I heard that, it was like deja vu all over again because the very same kind of distraction appeared in the pages of our own London Free Press and National Post's official daily newspaper here in London, Ontario. On the front page of the June 4, 2022 London Free Press, above the pictures of seven Muslim editorial writers and one week after the Texas shootings, here's what was written. Quote, As we did during that grief-filled week last June, we turn over our Saturday comment pages to the local Muslim community again today. Why? After a year and considerable effort in this city, questions abound, but answers still elude us. How to account for unspeakable acts of hate? Listening, which seemed like a good place to start then, seems like a smart thing to continue now. End quote. Well, one of the contributing editorialists was Selma Toba, who you might recall was the writer I condemned on a previous broadcast after reading her despicable and unforgivable commentary in which she accused everyone at the Truckers' Freedom Convoy of being racist, Islamophobic, and a whole host of pure lies and journalistic filth, and I'm not afraid to call it that. This just carries on in the free press without end. Now, this is significant in respect to the Texas event. Just as Obama was clearly deflecting attention from the Texas incident at hand, so too was our local media deflecting attention from the very story that ran on its front pages only one week earlier for four days running. And then nothing, not even a meager plea for more gun control as a consequence of the shootings. So this is what the free press thinks is a smart thing to continue now? What they're doing in this regard should never be continued, ever. It should have been stopped a year ago. Texas school kids dead in the latest mass shooting, reads National Post May 25th headline with the subheading, Teen Gunman Kills 15 People Before Being Slain by Police. Written by Joanna Slater, Leticia Beecham, Aurelius R. Hernandez, and Merrill Cornfield. Quote, a teacher and 14 students were killed in a mass shooting at an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas on Tuesday, Governor Greg Abbott said. Salvador Ramos, an 18-year-old Uvalde resident, shot and killed horrifically, incomprehensibly, more than a dozen children and a teacher, Abbott said. Initial information about the scene indicated that the gunman used a handgun and might have also used a rifle, law enforcement officials said. Authorities said the suspect acted alone. End quote. Then under the subheadline, a plea to pass new gun laws, the article reads, quote, The Texas rampage capped a series of mass shootings in U.S. schools that have shocked the world and fueled a fierce debate between advocates of tighter gun controls and those who oppose any legislation that could compromise the right of Americans to bear arms. The shooting 
came a day after the FBI released a report saying that the number of active shooter attacks nationwide had risen sharply last year, double the number seen just two years earlier. Wow, isn't that just another amazing coincidence? And what possible purpose would releasing a report like that serve? Especially since it's false, as you'll discover shortly. In its report, the FBI defined an active shooter attack as one in which a person or people tried to kill others in a populated area. The FBI did not include cases it said were due to factors such as gang violence or contained residential or domestic disputes. Shortly after news of the Texas shooting reached Capitol Hill, Senator Chris Murphy, Democrat Connecticut, took to the Senate floor to make an impassioned plea to fellow lawmakers to pass legislation aimed at stopping mass shootings. End quote. Next item, gunman warned of attack on school. National Post, May 26, headline the following day. Subheading reads, Texas teen sent online message before killing 19 by Brad Brooks and Gabriella Border. Quote, the Texas gunman who murdered 19 children and two teachers warned in an online message that he was going to shoot up an elementary school minutes before his rampage, Governor Greg Abbott said on Wednesday. The gunman, 18-year-old Salvador Ramos, after shooting his grandmother in the face, fled the home they shared and crashed his car near Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas. A school police officer approached him outside the building, according to officials, but no gunfire exchanged. Ramos then entered the school through a back door, carrying an AR-15-style rifle, and made his way to a fourth-grade classroom where all of the victims were killed, authorities said. Police surrounded the building, breaking windows to help children and staff escape. Members of the elite Border Patrol Tactical Unit entered the school to confront the shooter, a U.S. Customs and Border Protection official said. Ramos was shot and killed by law enforcement. One agent was hit in the leg and grazed in the head, the official said. End quote. And then, under the subheadline which reads, Gun Debate Reignited, the article continues, quote, The attack, ten days after an avowed white supremacist, shot 13 people at a supermarket in a mostly black neighborhood of Buffalo, New York, has reignited a national debate over U.S. gun laws. End quote. Oh, really? You know, I think it's more like the debate over U.S. gun laws is what has ignited all of these school shootings. Then, on the next day's news coverage, a National Post headline reads, Parents wanted to storm school with the subheading, Texas killer entered unimpeded, was inside for an hour before police moved. By Brad Brooks and Gabriel Border, May 27. Quote, the gunman who killed 19 children and two teachers crossed the grounds of the Texas elementary school without being confronted and entered the building through an unlocked door, authorities said on Thursday, offering another new account of the events that preceded the massacre. The latest details from officials contradicted earlier statements and raised fresh questions about the chronology of events, the speed of law enforcement's response, and the school's safety precautions, end quote. And then finally, and by finally I mean the last time any coverage of the Texas event appeared in the paper, on Saturday, May 28, the National Post headline read, Texas police say they made wrong decision, subheading, Pupils were calling 911 as officers waited nearly an hour to confront gunmen by Josie Ensor. Quote, 
After two days of unclear and contradictory accounts from police about the response to the rampage in which 19 children and two teachers were killed at Robb Elementary School, a law enforcement official said in a news conference that an armed school official did not in fact encounter or exchange fire with the attacker before he entered the school, as previously claimed. Even when specially equipped federal border agents arrived at the scene, local police would not allow them to go in, according to the New York Times. Meanwhile, at least two children under assault called 911 several times, with one telling police in a whisper that there were multiple dead and that there were still eight to nine students alive. Videos from the minutes after the shooter entered the building show frantic parents being held back by police. Some were handcuffed. The manufacturer of the gun used in the shooting has pulled out of a National Rifle Association convention taking place just kilometers from Tuesday's tragedy. However, organizers of the Houston event refused calls to cancel. Ramos purchased the rifles after his 18th birthday in mid-May from Daniel Defense, one of the largest gun manufacturers in the country with sales nearing $100 million, according to Forbes. The NRA, which has been instrumental in preventing stricter firearms regulations, said the shooting was the act of a lone, deranged criminal, end quote. Well, maybe and maybe not. But either way, that was the last mention of the Texas shootings in the newspapers. Curious, since this story of contradictions and lies is a much bigger story than the shootings themselves. This should be all over the front pages everywhere. Oh, and by the way, Christy Noem, governor of South Dakota, delivered a brilliant speech at that NRA event. But we haven't even touched the tip of the iceberg yet, as Kate Daly's June 1st report and commentary suggests. So last week, I kind of addressed a little bit of the time uh, timeline issues about Uvalde, because I, just even the next day, that night, I had noticed some really clear inconsistencies and thought, well, I'll bring them up because I want to just throw them out there and see if anyone can help me out with that timeline. Well, it's been a week and I have even more questions. Uh, nothing's been solved. Uh, the timeline is now even more bizarre and I'll share with you why I feel that way um, and some solid evidence as to why. But I also think of this in the way of uh, the mainstream media telling you this story. It, it would be like a courtroom proceeding where the prosecutor gets to say everything the prosecutor wants to say, construct a story, but the defense doesn't matter, doesn't exist, and there's no voice for it. That's kind of how I feel right now. I feel like in society, if you ask a single question about the Uvalde event or any event like it, you are the pariah not allowed to ask a question. It's as if there is no defense whatsoever. The defense was always good at uh, once, you know, the prosecutor would sum up the story, they would sum it up with such eloquence that you're sitting there like, oh, well, of course he did it or whatever the case may be. But then when the defense would present, wouldn't it always be sort of shocking to you that you were like, well, there's some good points being made. And I think in America, what I miss the most, and I've thought about this a lot, because I've been talking about uh, false flags. I've been talking about these kinds of situations for a decade. And we're missing curiosity. We are missing curiosity. We are so dependent on mainstream for them to tell us what to think about a certain thing going on, never to ask any questions. They don't ask any questions. They're a bunch of uh, just, I love how Salente calls them media whores. They really are. <laughs> so they'll read the script 
They want to go up the chain of command. They want the next promotion. They'll read the script and they won't ruffle any feathers. And that's what the media does. So when the, when the scripts are constructed, it is without even revealing to you the, the single most solitary question you should be asking is, where is the proof of what happened that actually happened? Instead of just telling me what's happening, but I'm not seeing it on screen. Why don't you, why don't you show me? Why don't you show me with screen clips? Well, that didn't really happen, did it? Um, you know, we are a dumb people. <laughs> we really are. We, we're not smarter than generations before us. I'll put it that way. Um, we're so dependent on the media. But I went back into the 1950s, the 1960s, the 1970s, 80s, and 90s, and 2000s to really kind of look at some of the changes that have gone on in the schools. And you might want to know this. It's kind of interesting. So in the 1950s, they had five incidents, if you will, and at, at a school that they considered a shooting. So right now in America, they claim 2000, you know, incidents. What they're claiming is anything that happened around the school, in the vicinity of the school, even if they knew it was gang related, even if they knew it was, it was just something that, 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 that happens between two people, an act of vengeance, a teacher killing another teacher um, because maybe they slept with his wife or something, you know, that kind of thing. So in, 19, in the 1950s, they had five incidents targeted to basically targeted events where it was one person who had a vengeance who wanted to take it out on somebody else. That was the 1950s. In the entire decade, they had five incidences like that. And as the population grew, you got into 1960s and they had 10 incidences like that. The whole entire decade, these were pretty small incidences and the person usually went off to prison um, and you had the basic, uh, you know, gang. Oh, it was probably gang related or it was a situation where uh, the kid did not like the teacher and he came back and he killed just the teacher. It was never anything but that. And so the night, so the 1950s, five incidences, 1960s, 10 incidences. Okay. The entire decade. But these were all high school incidences. When they give the numbers today, they give it all the way up to like beauty colleges and universities and everything else. But everybody in their brain equates it as a school shooting. So everybody thinks the number is a lot higher. It's really not. And when you start to really go through the incidences and you start to analyze them, you're thinking, wow, they sure included a lot of things that didn't end up in anything. There wasn't a death or anything. So that's why they call it incidents is because they want to make sure that you think the number's high and that all these people are dying, but they really aren't all these decades. And considering the fact that our nation being an armed nation has always had an extremely low death by gun violence rate. And I mean, low, um, it's quite amazing to me that this is the subject at hand again, like it is every single year. I feel like I'm having the same conversations on the, on the air every single year. And really and truly we have the lowest because we are armed. And I'm going to bet that you didn't hear one media person say, man, had anyone been armed in this situation, everything would have been fine. You'll never hear it because that's not what they want to do. And you know that. So let me give you a kind of a couple of things that, that don't make sense. And I only really want to bring this up because I want it to make sense. Boy, would I love it to make sense, but it clearly doesn't. 
And really, I'm using their own words to describe what happened. So as I said last week, because I gave you a couple of these, the, the district tweeted out at 1117 that everything was just fine at the school, but there had already been an active shooter. So that had already happened. So before 1117 at the school and that everything was fine, right? Everything was fine. That's what the district tweeted out. There was an active shooter and now we're good. Strange at 1117, very, very weird because the authorities say it didn't actually happen till 1132. Hmm, not 1131, not 1130, 1132. Boy, that's kind of a weird time stamp, isn't it? Because you have 1117, then you have 1132 when it was supposed to happen, but the school district had said it already happened. Well, that's odd. And then 11 minutes into what was supposed to be the event, the school came out with a timestamp on Facebook at 1143, the actual elementary school. And they said, uh, everything was fine. Everything was fine. In fact, let me read Let me read it to you. There is an active shooter. This is what they put on Facebook at Rob Elementary. There's an active shooter at Rob Elementary. Law enforcement is on site. Your cooperation is needed at this time, but not by visiting campus. As soon as more information is gathered, it will be shared. The rest of the district is under secure status. Hmm. So... So they, they, they put that out at 1117, okay? All right, they put that out at 1117. I'm sorry, that was the district. Then what they did was they said, okay, they said uh, at 1143, this is what they said, 1143, I like reverse those. Rob Elementary is what they put on Facebook. Rob Elementary is under a lockdown status. Rob Elementary parents, please know at this time, Rob Elementary is under a lockdown status due to gunshots in the area. The students and the staff are safe in the building. The building is secure in a lockdown status. The students and staff are safe in the building. 1143, 11 minutes in. Hmm. Your cooperation is needed at this time, but not by visiting campus. As soon as the lockdown is lifted, you will be notified. The status is lifted. That's what they tweeted out. Really strange, right? Didn't sound like much was going on because they said it was in the area. It wasn't even at the school. But they would have been really in the middle of the event, which is really strange. So then the cops say it lasted for an hour and a half until they put the suspect in custody at one o'clock. So 1132 to one o'clock, about an hour and a half of a shootout. But at noon, the district said the kids were transported around noon to the Civic Center in the middle of a shootout. But there were people outside. There were cops standing around. There was media. Nobody saw any kids leave. Nobody saw any gurneys. Nobody saw any action. No, nobody saw anything going on. Everybody was in stand around mode. There was even a helicopter to capture. Nothing. There was nothing. Really strange. You also have missing police um, chatter tapes at that time too. You know, I was down in the Las Vegas uh, shooting. I was actually on the freeway and I had just picked up my daughter from the airport. And what was interesting about that was we were stopped right in front of Mandalay Bay. So we immediately got onto the police chatter. The police chatter was completely different than the story the next day because they were chasing multiple people around Las Vegas. I guess we're not supposed to say that. But I was down there. I was listening to it. This is firsthand. So, anyway, so the tapes are missing. 
So the cops say it lasts for an hour and a half. And in the middle of the shootout, the district said the kids were transported to the civic center in the middle of all this with no ambulances, no buses, no ambulances to the hospital, no buses, nobody leaving, nothing. How did they get there to be picked up by two o'clock? In fact, there was a sign outside that even had the teacher that passed away, her name on it, and also a big thing of water bottles sitting right next to it, right in front of the civic center. I have the photo. So really kind of strange. So then the police department said they had him in custody, one o'clock, right? But then they said, and they changed it and said that he died in the shootout. Is he in custody or did he die in the shootout at the school? Very strange. And why was the border elite team there? He just happened to be in the area. It's a really strange, just happened to be there in the area kind of thing. None of this timeline has made sense since the beginning, still doesn't a week later. We need some answers. I want it to make sense. I really do. It's not at all. And here we are a week out, still not making sense. So go back to to the Uvalde Memorial Hospital post. They actually posted this, this post. Information at this time is that an active shooter at Robb Elementary is in custody. UMH is currently caring for several students in the ER. Immediate family of those report uh, of those students are to report to the cafeteria on the second floor. So what about that sentence doesn't make sense? So the active shooter is now in custody, but we're already caring for people here. The problem is, is that when did anyone leave the school? There's not one single photo or picture of this. Why? And if you've noticed, if I could go as far as to say, since 2012, think about all those events since 2012. Never did you see the ambulances lined up and the people being taken out and all the chaos that ensues when that happens alone, because we're talking a lot of ambulances, a lot of ambulances. But there's never any footage of that. It's really kind of strange. There's never any coroners on site. There's never anything that you would expect to find or see, even in the chaos, at any of these events. That's probably the one thing they have in common. Well, they have many things in common. That's only one thing they have in common, actually. Here we are a week out, and I still have the same questions, even more so than I did from last week. Um, The families, um, there's a lot of expression of words, but not feeling the real emotions. You know, we can always be empathetic and I can be empathetic because I got five kids. And so, you know, nobody wants to see anything happen, right? Do I even need to say that? Everybody is empathetic to that. The problem is, is when you see something that seems really off and you can't put your finger on it. And sometimes I think that's why we have a lot of anger towards these situations and we don't want anyone to talk about or bring up questions. We already know inside that it doesn't make sense, that something's wrong. And the problem is, is people are not awake enough to really nail the story behind the story. And as long as we keep giving into this, and as long as we keep not wanting to see it, we're going to have a problem in America. Um, 
Also, the one thing that I've noticed that that usually happens in something that I'm usually very kind of suspicious about is that one person in law enforcement makes sure that no one else goes in for quite a long time. Hmm. It's kind of weird, right? And I just wanted to bring these things up because if we can get people to ask more questions and at least be curious about a situation that has not added up since the moment it was talked about in the press and you knew it was coming because of course, bam, 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 you have enough incidences where everyone's fatigued. So we concede and we give in on principles and try to diminish our own second amendment. How unfortunate, how evil, how sad. You are listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Now, when Kate Daly pointed to the fact that the U.S. has the lowest crime rates because they are armed, she was right on the money. You know, I live in the country of Canada where I've come to believe that most Canadians are almost foreigners in their own country, whether or not they were born here, because they seem to have no idea whatever about the necessary inviolable principles that must be followed in order to have a free society. They are alien to the values upon which their country is based. And facts don't matter to this clueless class. All my life I've been hearing how Canadians live in a much safer environment than Americans because we don't have guns. This is simply not true and never has been. Our own official statistics demonstrate this. And this is an issue I've been familiar with for decades. And throughout that entire time, every statistical analysis comparing jurisdictions with gun controls to those without demonstrates that the one where people carry guns are always the safest. Now, citing from a graph appearing in the February 1995 issue of Consent, which was published by the Freedom Party of Ontario, the graph compared violent crime rates per 100,000 population between Canada and the U.S. between the years 1972 and 1991. Its American source was the FBI's Uniform Crime Reports for the United States 1991, while the Canadian source was published by the Canadian Centre for Justice Statistics, Crime Trends in Canada, 1962 to 1990. And in every year, from 72 to 91, Canada's rate of violence per 100,000 was anywhere from 20% to 45% higher than the United States. In 1972, the U.S. had a rate of 401 violent crimes per 100,000 as compared to Canada's 507 per 100,000. And by 1991, the U.S. stood at 758 while Canada soared to 1,099 per 100,000. Again, citing the government's own statistics. Does this all sound a bit familiar? Of course it does. The same kind of official stat comparisons have been cited during the COVID scandal, where it is now known without doubt that thousands upon thousands have been killed or injured by the experimental injections, while those who have escaped the injections are proving to be the ones most likely not to get it all from any infection. But who cares, right? Let's keep people locked down and forced to take jabs. And let's make sure we take their guns away, as Trudeau is attempting to do right now with his banning of handguns in Canada. And in the same way that the government has been using the term incident to artificially inflate its violent crime stats, the term cases was used to describe meaningless test results in a way of inflating COVID rates of spread. 
Neither term either implied violence or sickness. So as we can see, it's all about definitions all of the time. What we are witnessing here is a microcosm of the fake narratives we hear all the time about COVID, climate change, gun violence, racism, the green, the green narrative, and every other life-destroying, freedom-destroying ideology pushed by the left. And now, for the big picture view and summary of the whole school shooting phenomenon that we've been discussing up till now, here's Greg Reese on this side of the bumper, followed by Stu Peters on the return side, with their spins on the story behind the stories. Perhaps the most evil display of deception and murder we are subjected to today are found in the new phenomenon of mass school shootings. Prior to 1999, they were practically non-existent, but today they have almost become predictable. And if you are able to examine the evidence objectively without getting emotional, a pattern can be recognized. Former Naval Intelligence officer turned whistleblower, Milton William Cooper, wrote in his book, Behold a Pale Horse, published in 1991, that the CIA was using drugs and hypnosis on mental patients in order to persuade them to open fire on schoolyards to inflame the anti-gun lobby and do away with the Second Amendment. This probably sounds outlandishly evil, and it is, but the evidence is there. In the Columbine shootings of 1999, we are told that Eric Harris and Dylan Kleibolt acted alone. The town of Columbine, Colorado was created in 1958 for families and employees of the military industrial complex. Eric and Dylan were arrested a year prior to the shooting and were allegedly sodomized by the arresting officer, which may sound crazy, but a local officer admitted to raping informants, which is a known method of trauma-based mind control. After this January incident, Eric and Dylan were put into a juvenile diversion program and prescribed SSRI drugs known to cause homicidal ideation. During this time, Eric Harris was making online death threats and bomb threats. Local police were aware of this and drafted a search warrant affidavit, but it was ignored. Eric and Dylan threatened revenge for the January incident in their yearbook. They produced a school video about their plans and began openly collecting weapons, all of this while on probation, and nothing was done about it. During the shootings, the police stood outside the building and did nothing, while the sounds of automatic gunfire and explosions continued for hours. In official transcripts, there are over 100 witnesses who saw more than two shooters and more than 40 witnesses who identified the same two men in their 30s, one balding and the other with a short military-style haircut. Several witnesses described the same adult male throwing a pipe bomb on the roof of the library, all of them certain that it wasn't Dylan or Eric. And all of this information pertaining to additional shooters has been redacted. The FBI agent in charge of the Columbine investigation had a son who recently attended the school, who shot a student film inside Columbine High two years before the shooting about a character wearing a trench coat shooting up the school. Dylan and Eric fantasized about hijacking an airplane and crashing it into a New York City skyscraper 
1999. Are these just strange coincidences or remnants of the Fed's MKUltra program? An honest investigation into any of the mass school shootings following Columbine will have the same signatures, such as families involved in the military-industrial complex, prescribed SSRIs and other psychotropic drugs, psychological care provided by the state, and associations with law enforcement prior to the shootings. Just like we saw with the retired federal agent in regular communication with the Buffalo gunman in a private Discord chat room. And in the recent Texas school shooting, how is the perpetrator able to afford nearly $5,000 of weaponry? And why did the police stand down while children were slaughtered? We are still allowed to question these things, but for how long? This evil will never stop until the truth is exposed. And unfortunately, most of us are too emotional to see things as they really are. Reporting for InfoWars, this is Greg Reese. Senseless and heartbreaking and preventable tragedy followed by lie after lie after lie. Truth, exposure, and accountability live here. Uncensored, unafraid, and unstoppable May 25th, 2022. Welcome to the Stu Peters Show. My name is Stu. There was a mass shooting yesterday at an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas. 19 students died. Innocent, small children. Tragic. Along with two teachers and the shooter himself, Salvador Ramos. This means another round of attacks from the people who are obsessed with banning and confiscating guns. Even Fox News is talking about it. Even people who claim to be conservative are talking about red flag laws, which are the laws, by the way, where the government can label you dangerous and confiscate your guns without any due process, without any trial whatsoever. It's a complete negation of the Constitution. They gave it a different name so that weak-minded people would get on board. If the government can cancel your constitutional rights simply by labeling you dangerous, then you've lost your rights. If the government censors your speech simply by saying that you're dangerous, you've lost your freedom of speech. If some official bans religious worship on the grounds that it's dangerous, you've lost your freedom of religion. And the same applies to red flag laws. If you want to take away a person's right to own or possess or carry a gun, then you need to charge them and convict them of a crime. Period. And we want to be clear about what's going on here because a lot of other people won't be. Here's the truth. None of the people shrieking about red flag laws after this shooting actually care about children or about people's safety. But all of them love the idea of risking World War III by sending billions of dollars of unmonitored military aid and intelligence and weaponry to Ukraine. That money is being used to drag out a war that will kill thousands of children. But here, all the people crowing now about gun control 
are completely on board with mutilating children and turning them into freak shows in the name of transgenderism. They're okay with mentally ill, pedophile, groomer, depraved teachers treating kindergartners as a fetish. And of course, they're all on board with literally killing and dismembering children. Just so long as they're unborn. When that's the case, they call it choice instead of what it really is, murder. But we can go even further. None of the people actually care about gun violence specifically. We have the numbers. Spree shootings like the one yesterday or the one in Buffalo two weeks ago are less than 1% of the murders in this country every year. Meanwhile, murders in this country are up, way up. The murder rate in big cities last year was 44% higher than the murder rate just two years ago. Philadelphia broke its record for murders. So did Portland and Austin and Tucson and Indianapolis and Columbus, Ohio. Near my own town in the Twin Cities, St. Paul broke its murder record and Minneapolis fell just one slaying short of tying it. The press acts like this surge is mysterious or like it's due to COVID. It's a complete lie. It's obvious what caused this surge. It's Black Lives Matter. It's the left becoming anti-cop and anti-prison and pro-criminal while Republicans come along for the ride. We released thousands of criminals from prison early. We've slashed the penalties for dozens of crimes. We've basically told the police to stop enforcing the law. And by prosecuting cops like Derek Chauvin, we've sent the message that if they care too much or if they try too hard, they'll be sent to prison instead of the killers. And the police got the message. They're standing down and letting crime run rampant, just like our leaders told them to. Almost all of the murders in this country involve illegal guns. The murders are committed by gang members with long rap sheets who aren't allowed to own or carry a gun in the first place, but they're doing it anyways. But we've banned policies like stop and frisk, which actually helped catch illegal guns. And we stopped it on the grounds that it's racist. The left doesn't want to catch illegal guns. That's what's going on here. The left doesn't want to lower crime. They don't care about people being shot up and robbed and killed at all. What they care about is their own power. And that's why they go into a frenzy after these mass shootings. This isn't about stopping murders. It's about finding an excuse to disarm people like you. It's why they fixate on AR-15s, which almost never kill anybody. They're going after them specifically because they're a gun that's popular with law-abiding conservatives. 
And they want to make sure that you're disarmed and helpless as they take and seize more control of your life. This was a tragedy. My heart bleeds for these parents in Texas. But this is a tragedy that could have been stopped. Stopped by a legal gun-carrying teacher or a cop worth his salt. Maybe that $40 billion going to pagan neo-Nazi war criminals in Ukraine could have been better spent by assigning armed men to every school in America. So what has appeared on the surface to be an issue about school shootings is upon reflection a psyop aimed at disarming the public. And so far, we haven't even scratched the surface of the deeper gun control debate, which I'd originally intended to focus the entire show on. But you know, once I started going deeper and deeper down this rabbit hole of mass shootings in general, and of school shootings in particular, I knew that this phenomenon was something you couldn't just skip over or brush under the carpet. And here's what I believe had to be placed on the record, so to speak. If there's one thing about which there can be no doubt, if there's one thing that has been consistent, well, it has been a consistency of inconsistencies. All of the people we heard from today, plus even the mainstream media accounts, consistently pointed to the inconsistencies and contradictions in reports of this shooting event. So, now that we're approaching the end of today's show, and since I haven't even gotten to the fundamental issues and principles underlying the fallacy of gun control, it looks like we can expect a part two, at least, to this developing story and critical issue. And who knows, by then, we may have an entirely different narrative to add to this consistently inconsistent mix of narratives yet again. And when it comes to being consistently consistent, being just right is where it's at, and it's also where you should be when you join us again next week as we continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. To black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be alright Why did you jump me, 86? I told you I was 74 Well, I thought it might be a trap But you saw my face Not until I hit you What are you doing here, 74? The chief sent me, figured you might need help That's ridiculous Get your hands up Just don't stand there If you came to help, help You call that helping? <laughs> Siegfried? Tell me, Siegfried, why did you shoot your own man? Nitwit. To save your life. But you and I are sworn to kill each other on sight. Why would you want to save my life? Because I'm leaving chaos. Leaving chaos? Why? I'm fed up. Twenty years I have been with him. Stealing, robbing, lying, killing, murdering. And what did I get out of it? Nothing. Just a lot of fun. <laughs> Smart. Listen to me. 
Go and tell your chief I am ready to cooperate with control. All right, Siegfried, I'll tell him. But I don't think the chief will trust you. Give me one good reason why he shouldn't trust me. Because you're a rotten, vicious, cruel, cunning, maniacal murderer. All right, that's one. Now give me another. 